Um, it is my privilege to continue our series of God and Kings. And today we're talking about Solomon. And in this passage we read, we're, we're talking about the fall of Solomon. Solomon's downfall, so to speak. But I want to talk, start off by talking a little bit about some of his accomplishments in his life. And I'm going to try to, I, I'm incredibly excited about this passage of Scripture it's going to have a hard time communicating that with my voice this morning. But I'm going to do my best uh, because I think this is a very important story from God's word for me and for you. And so when we look at the life of Solomon, Solomon started off on a great path. He really did. Just as we talked about last week, David had wanted to leave this legacy for Solomon. And the one thing that he wanted Solomon to get was what? Does anyone remember? What was the one key to being a good ruler on the throne? No one was here last week for my sermon. I remember doing it. The one thing was follow God. The one thing that David wanted to leave with his son was not necessarily keys to being a good, it was simply follow God. And Solomon started off on a great path. In fact, very early on, God comes to Solomon. God appears to Solomon. And he says, Solomon, anything you want, I will grant you. I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon could have asked for riches. He could have asked for power. But Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God was very pleased. And so God not only made him the wisest man in all of the earth, but he also did give him power and riches. And so Israel was incredibly blessed. In fact, this is, of all of this period of the kings, this is the one extended period where Israel actually experiences peace. They're not at war because they're the stuff. They're the kingdom that rules. And people from all over are seeking out Solomon for his wisdom. There's actually a story where, um, that you all may be familiar with, two women come and they're, they're in an argument and, and they were living in the same house and so one of the women actually rolled over onto her child and killed it. And so then she went and she stole the other woman's baby and said it was hers and took the dead baby and gave it to her friend. And so they were arguing about this. Obviously, the one, they both know who's right and who's wrong. And they go to Solomon and said, how can you tell which one of these babies it is? And he's like, well, let's just cut the baby in half. And the woman who had stolen the baby said, okay, that sounds fair. Because she's thinking, if I can't have a kid, then my friend shouldn't either. But the other woman says, oh, no, no, no. Give her the baby. Because she was the true mom and she would never want harm to come to her child. And so Solomon said, give that woman the child. He was, he was so wise that people would come from all over. And ultimately, that's kind of what led to his downfall. All these other nations would come to Solomon for advice. And they would ask for advice. And as they did, the leaders of these nations would come. And, and when they sought out advice, they would say, oh, thank you for what you've told us. Here's our daughter to marry as a gift for your kindness. So Solomon, he asked for wisdom above riches and power. He started on the right path. He, he builds the temple. 
David had wanted to build a temple for God. But he was never able to. And Solomon, during this time of peace, builds a magnificent temple for God. If you have traveled to Israel, it, that's the, where it was. Right there on the Temple Mount. That's where Solomon built the temple. He has this incredible temple built. He's following God well. And so, what happened? And I want to talk about that this morning because I think there's some important things that we can take away, that we can learn from Solomon. And I think even more than that, there's some very important things we can learn about God and his character and his nature that are very applicable for us today. And so we'll look at this right here. It says, King Solomon, however... That, however, is very significant because it just spent from chapter 2 to 11 talking about all the great things Solomon had done. I summed them up in three minutes, but <laughs> there's, there's like nine chapters. It's probably worth your, a read. So if you want to take the time and go through that because there's many other things, but all these great things that Solomon's done. And we get to chapter 11, it says, King Solomon, however. And that's the key. He loved many foreign women, Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, he had, give, he had been given permission to marry Pharaoh's daughter. God had said, that is okay. It was a strategic alliance. It was, there was a connection there. That was okay. But he didn't just marry Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from all of these nations. And obviously, it's more than just the five nations listed there. Because how many wives did he have? 700. Gentlemen. Anyone else questioning Solomon's wisdom? Right? Either that or, I mean, this guy had some incredible game. Listen, I have an incredibly hard time working hard to do a good job being married to one wife. 700. I, I, I just don't get it. But the important thing here is not the number. The important thing here is verse 2. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. You see, it's not the fact that Solomon married all these wives. That's, that, I mean, we can talk about that another time, but the main point here is that God had said, do not intermarry with these nations. They worship idols. They worship pagan gods. And ultimately, they will lead you astray. You know, we're told that we as individuals are the sum of our five closest friends. That the five people that we're closest with are going to be the ones that influenced us the most, and ultimately we're going to be the sum of our five closest friends. Some of you are thinking, darn it, I've got to get better friends. Right? And of course, Solomon is going to be influenced by the 700 women he's married to. They're going to, of course, influence him, and that's, that's why God is warning him. You see, Solomon's big mistake, his first mistake here is that he went against 
God's warning. We all have like a natural disobedient streak in us, right? That's called sin. Here's a little video that illustrates some of that. Get out of there! Jackson! Get out! No, no, no. You're not supposed to be on the table. No. Are you supposed to have candy at 7 o'clock in the morning? Oh, by penalty of law, this tag may not be removed. <gasps> you broke the law. When did you learn to do that? <laughs> no, no, we're not sharing. No. You're not supposed to bring them in the house. Watch your fingers. Don't put your fingers in there. Are you supposed to bite me? No. Are you sorry? What happened, Zariah? Zariah, what happened? You were climbing up there? <laughs> you were climbing up there and you fell? No. Are you going to listen to Daddy's... Are you going to listen to Daddy's rules? <laughs> Finny, are you going to listen to all the rules that we have? Finny, listen to the rules. <laughs> Not supposed to jump on the bed. It's cookie, right? Yeah. Are you supposed to be eating cookie? Yeah. No, you're not. Blair, are you allowed to color on the wall? No, you're not. No, you're not. But you have two options. <laughs> Eat your dinner or go to bed. Which one do you want? I want to play. What are you doing? No, mommy. Are you supposed to have those? Isa, no touch. Liza, <laughs> no touch. Aren't you supposed to be in bed? Um, I am. You're in bed. Huh? Is this your bed? Yeah. Is this where mommy put you to bed? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. So where do boys go when they get in trouble and they don't want to give up the iPad? They hide in the pantry. Hey, what are you doing? Right, and that, that's kind of cute because... Uh, we all set rules for kids. And the thing is, God's rules are kind of like the rules that parents have for kids. Like in a couple of those situations, clearly kids were breaking the rules. And if they broke the rules, what was going to happen? They were going to get hurt. That one little girl, I, don't, I guess the parents thought it was more important to uh, film her than to rescue her. She's hanging by her pocket. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> But the thing is, God's law is protective. It's not restrictive. 
And that's important for us to remember because in this case, God is not trying to keep Solomon from having fun. He's not saying, Solomon, I don't want you to marry these women even though you may enjoy being married to them. Again, we can question whether being married to 700 women is enjoyable or not, right? We can argue that. But God is not trying to restrict Solomon. He's trying to protect him. And God's laws for us are the same way. Sometimes we treat God's law or his rules as though they're restrictive, like keeping us from fun. But the reality is God's law is not that way. It's protective. And so when we read the Bible and when we study the book, we're learning that God is caring for us as a parent cares for a child. And when we follow that law, we'll be in a place of safety. And ultimately in a place of freedom. Where when Solomon doesn't follow it, what happens is he gets away from the plan that God has for him. And he begins to wander. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. You see, what happened is Solomon forgot his first love. Solomon forgot the fact that God was the most important. That the one thing that David said, as as you sit on the throne, the one thing that's most important is follow God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every good Jewish boy would remember that. It was the Shema. They would say it every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They had to say that every day. And yet Solomon forgot. And so he took the love that was, that was destined and designed to only be for God... And he began to get distracted. We could blame it on his 700 wives leading him astray, but ultimately it was his own heart that wandered. And he began to worship other gods. Gods that in this passage of scripture were referred to as detestable. Because when it comes down to it, God's love is perfect, but it's jealous. And in our minds, that word jealous has a negative connotation, right? Because no one likes a jealous person. But God himself refers to himself as a jealous God. And I think it's important for us to understand that concept because God does not want us to have divided hearts. I suspect that if I went home with all of you today, very few of you have idols at your house. Like I probably wouldn't, wouldn't walk in and I, and I wouldn't go to Phil Lustig's house and see this idol of Molech on his table, right? Hopefully, Phil, right? All right, good. Phew. But... The reality is we all have idols in our life. We all have things that distract us from our love from God. And 
divide our love away. And maybe they're not detestable like idols, but maybe they're even good things, but they take love that deserves and belongs to go only to God and they steal it away from him. And we have to learn from Solomon that we need to hold fast to our first love. When you get into a situation, when you realize that you've got to the place where your love for God is distracted and it happens, it happens to all of us, right? I love the words of the, of the old hymn. Dave, you have to remind me what hymn this is, but you'll know right away. But it's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What song is that? He's singing it. He's singing it back here. You can't hear it, but he's singing it. He's getting to the chorus. And so, that song, the words of that song, the lyrics of that song are so true because all of us are prone to wander. Our hearts get distracted like Solomon. We chase after other things. We're all, you know, I've, I've got three, um, three dogs at home. I've got three uh, golden doodles. And so they're, they're, you know, half golden retriever and half poodle. They're great dogs. And like most dogs, they chase things. Their favorite thing to chase for some reason is lizards. I don't know why, but, but, but that, when I see that, it, it makes me and, and reminds me of ourselves. We're all kind of like retrievers. We're chasing after things. Maybe we're chasing after success in life. Maybe we're chasing after relationships. Maybe we're chasing after money. Maybe we're, I don't know what it is, but we all chase things. And we forget like Solomon, our first love. God. God wants us to chase after him. And so as Solomon becomes distracted, God gets angry. Because Solomon is worshiping these other gods and he's setting up things for them. And ultimately, this didn't start simply because Solomon married all these women. If we back up even further and we read the story, it's very interesting because Solomon builds this amazing temple for God. Filled with gold and the best wood and he brings... excuse me, supplies in from all over the world. He takes seven years to build this temple. And he finishes it and he feels great and there's finally a permanent home for God to dwell in. And there's the Holy of Holies where his spirit is said to dwell above the Ark of the Covenant. And then Solomon says, huh, Well, I built a house for God. Maybe I should build myself a house. You know how long it took Solomon to build his house? Seven years to build God's temple. Thirteen years to build his own house. And that, to me, before the wives, was the, the beginning of the end because Solomon now had put his needs, his desires, what he wanted above God's. 
His palace had to be even better than God's temple. And so Solomon, ultimately, his first love that slipped away from God was to himself. And that's true for all of us. Ultimately, our sin is wrapped up in our desire to follow our way instead of God's way. But the beautiful part of this whole story, and I I told you last week, even as many of these kings do not follow God the way David did, throughout the book of First and Second Kings, we see a common theme of grace. So the Lord says to Solomon, since this is your attitude, I'm going to take your kingdom away. But I love that word there in verse 12, nevertheless. You see, in the midst of Solomon's sin, the covenant that God had made with Israel was, if you follow me, and you love me with all your heart, I will keep your throne forever. And so clearly Solomon did not hold up his end of the bargain. But nevertheless, and nevertheless is a word that describes God's grace. Solomon still experienced God's grace. God said, Solomon, I'm going to allow you to continue to reign the rest of your life. Even though you've turned away from me, I'm not going to take your throne away. Instead, I'm going to take it from your son. And even as I take it from your son, I'm still going to give him two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so your family will continue to reign. Because when it comes down to it, ultimately, God's grace is bigger than our failures. I love this quote by Philip Yancey. It's from his book, Vanishing Grace. It's a great book. The Bible is a story of deeply flawed people. People like me who make shockingly bad choices and yet still find themselves pursued by God. That's what this book is all about. Not just the book of 1st and 2nd Kings, but the whole thing. It's a book of people like me and you who are deeply flawed, who put our way above God's way, who chase after things instead of God who is to be our first love, who is a jealous God. We make shockingly bad choices and still, and nevertheless, God pursues us. God pursues our hearts. That's why he says, if you seek me, you will find me. God's not hiding from us. God is chasing us. And so all it takes is for us to get to a point where we do these three things. Number one, we remember. We remember that love of God. 
We remember his sacrifice for us that we celebrate in this meal. We remember all that he has done. We repent. We tell God we're sorry. We begin the process in our lives of returning. When we remember God's goodness for us and we repent that we've chased after other things, we return to the relationship that God created and designed each and every one of us for. Amen.